0: evening. evening. That was pretty pitiful. Let's try it again. Good evening. evening. That was better. Hey, do me a favor. Raise your hand if you've been here for every single meeting of the week. Thank God for you. We appreciate it so very much, and we appreciate your faithful attendance. I I said this earlier in the week. We as preachers, we are really, really good at getting on to people for stuff, but we're slow to commend them for when they do right, and uh, we appreciate you being here. There are other choices that you could have made this week. There's a lot of irons. In our, how, how many got a lot of irons in your fire? Would you, you admit that? All right. But you've prioritized God's house this week. And because of that, he's spoken to your heart. And uh, you've won away changed because God's word does that. That's the only book that changes lives, by the way, is the very word of God. Many of you have made them. Can I ask you this? You don't have to tell us what it is. But if you've made a specific decision this week, would you raise your hand if you've made a decision? Amen. Amen. How many would say, well, I might not have made a specific decision, but God most assuredly has spoken to my heart this week. Amen. How many of you would say, I have received not just an emotional stirring, but I've received some legitimate spiritual encouragement this week? Would you raise your hand? Amen. Well, we want you to have those things. And listen, revival is not a feeling. Revival is a way of life. Uh, A pastor named Rick Flanders once said this, and a pastor friend of mine told me, he said that he said, Revival is when we get back to God's norm for you and for me. We think if we're serving the Lord and loving Him and putting Him first, that we, man, we're the cream of the crop. We, we deserve a Billy Bible Award. But the truth of the matter is, if we do those things, we're simply doing and being what God has saved us to do and be. Amen? And we want to do that. We don't want this to be a series of meetings this week where you get a little goosebumps, little hairs raised up on the back of your neck, a little bit of emotional stirring, a little bit kinder, a little bit sweeter maybe. And then that goes away by Sunday. No, we want to continue this. We want revival to be an extension and to last forever, regardless of who's behind the pulpit. Amen? And you guys can have that here at your church if you want it. God will give it to you if you want it. Well, take your Bible this evening and turn to Psalm chapter number 1. Psalm chapter number 1. Brand new message tonight. and So I'm breaking it in on you, all right? You're the guinea pigs tonight. Psalm chapter 1, let me say thank you for letting me be here. Thank you for letting me come. I appreciate that. We had a good time. appreciate your kindness and your friendliness. Thank you for the accommodations over the comfort suites there in King's Mill. And it's good to spend some time with your pastor. And uh, I've got a lot of respect for Brother Earl. And uh, he didn't tell me to say this, but when I think of him, uh, the word respect comes to my mind. And I appreciate him, and uh, you know, uh, he's one of those pastors that he doesn't mean to do this, but when you're preaching the Word of God around him, you want to be on your P's and Q's. And I appreciate him and his testimony of faithfully preaching and teaching the Word of God for over what, brother, over 50 years now? Is that true? Amen. 48. So close, to, evangelistically speaking, it's 50, all right? <laughs> Not as old. <long> as, <laughs> but uh, we appreciate his faithfulness, and I appreciate the invitation Thank you for entrusting me with this week. Be in prayer for me. I'll hit the road in the morning, and then I'll drive back to Roanoke and be in the dialysis chair again. I uh, have a day off on Saturday that I'm headed to a place called Rock Camp, Rock Camp West Virginia, on Sunday. Now, you don't go to Rock Camp unless you're headed to Rock Camp, okay? It's out in the middle of nowhere, uh, kind of like here, all right? And I'll be there for a Sunday through a Tuesday meeting with Pastor Paul Broyles. And Brother Paul was one of my first counselors ever at Pleasure Island Bible Camp when I was a little boy. And so looking forward to being with him for a few days. He loves the Lord, a good man, good church, and we're going to have a good meeting there too, all right? Amen for that. And then looking forward to what God has for me the rest of the month of October, and just appreciate him so very much as he continues to build my meetings and give me opportunities. And as the young lady sung about, doors of utterance, and as God opens doors for us. And by the way, that's my calling God gave me the gift and God opens the doors. That's, that's, that's it right there. It's as simple as it comes. And that's my calling to the ministry story. And it's true. God shuts the door and he opens another one. And we need to praise him in the hallways. I like that. Thank you for the music tonight, family. I appreciate that so very much. If you hadn't found Psalm 1 by now, I can't help you. Okay? We're in Psalm chapter 1. Look at verse number 1, a very familiar portion of Scripture tonight. The Bible says, Blessed. We hear that word a lot today in Christianese. We hear that word a lot today being spoken, hey, be blessed, have a blessed day. We hear that, right? Sometimes people in stores and cashiers and bank clerks and things of that nature, if they're a person of faith, they will often say, have a blessed day. Well, here the word in Psalm 1, it literally means happy, but not the idea of jumping from emotional high to emotional high. By the way, everybody in this room is a bit of a drug addict. We're addicted to the drug of happiness. We we jump from happiness fix to happiness fix. We're kind of emotional junkies. We look at our calendars and we look at things that we look forward to and weekend plans and family get-togethers and vacations and Christmases and all that good stuff, and we kind of live from high to high in a way. But the Bible here is talking about real happiness. It's talking about joy that comes from not only knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but delighting in Him, and then enjoying a life of service to Him. That's where true happiness lies. And here the psalmist says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Hey, friends, tonight, very simple and straightforward. By the way, don't you think God's word should be preached straightforwardly and simply? Listen, if we preach it in such a way where people can't grasp it and understand it, then who in the world have we helped? If we take all the fruit and we put it on the top of the tree rather than when people can grab it, that all we've done is made it a tree with inaccessible fruit, amen? We don't want that. I like fruit, and I like to be able to reach it and grab it and eat it. And we want to put things in a way that people can understand it. We have a Savior that was so profound and so much of a genius that he made the Bible in a way that was simple enough for you and I to understand it because he knew that we would need that, right? And I thank God that I have a God that had the foresight to design the Bible that way. Hey, I want to talk to you tonight for a few moments along these lines a recipe for revival. Will you pray with me? Father, help us tonight as we look into your word to see what we need to see as we conclude this meeting. Lord, we know that just because the meeting ends, the movement does not. And we know that you can continue to do great and mighty things. And Father, as always, we ask that for Sugar Run Valley Baptist Church that her best days lie ahead of her rather than behind her. Lord, I would ask you for Brother Powell's church tonight, and I don't know the name, that you would do the same, that her best years lie in front of her rather than behind her. Lord, help us not to revel in what you used to do, but rejoice in faith in what you're doing and what you will do. And Lord, at the same time, we ask tonight, maybe there's someone who has come to this last night of the meeting who's never come to the Lord. Maybe there's still that person who's holding out on saying yes to the gospel. Father, please help them to understand that there is no revival until there's Regeneration. Help them to understand that there is no peace and power and purpose in life until we are born again. Help them to realize that you're the way, the truth, and the life and that there's no way to the Father but by you. Lord, give them repentance. Grant them that, that change of mind that realizes that they're sinners and they can't save themselves and that they would believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again for them. Father, would you help them receive the gospel tonight? Lord, for that believer who may be away from you, Will you break his heart tonight? Lord, you tell us in your word that a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. Restore to us the joy of thy salvation. And Lord, may we all leave here encouraged with a spirit of revival that doesn't go away. And we give you the honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said? Hey, today for lunch, Brother Jason Crawford, Brother Earl's uh, son-in-law, took me to a place called the Gold Star. We went there the other day. This, is, this, is, it, is, it, is it right? Is it, is it a place called? Am I right? Because I'm out of Ohio, so I might mess it up, all right? Gold star. What did I call it? Golden star? Golden lamb, gold star. I get it right? So give me a gold star for getting it right, okay? Well, evidently, chili is a big guy, thing to you guys up here, right? Y'all take it seriously. I, I wonder if maybe people get hurt over this topic up here. I'm not really sure. But evidently, there's of two minds on the subject Either you're the Skyline camp, right, or the Gold Star camp. Oh, wow. Man, that's rough. We got a schism in the body tonight. Maybe we should preach on unity. Well, I don't want to split, so I'm going to stay right here. I've never been to Skyline, but today I went to the Gold Star. And I'll tell you one thing. It was like getting saved again. Amen. I got a new food on my list that I don't need. <laughs> Who would have thought that you could take a mound of cheddar cheese that's higher than my grass back home, stick it on top of spaghetti noodles and chili, and have a revolutionary moment in your life? That was awesome. I love that. Man, I tell you what, I was eating Brother Earl, meeting eating Brother Earl, eating Brother Earl. When I ever <laughs> preached on cannibalism, and Unity, you're never going to forget this message. Tonight I knew I was going to meet Brother Earl for an early supper, and so I didn't have the biggest tray. But man, that was good. And it got me to thinking about how weird of an eater I am. Now, I'm, I'm about six foot three, and I wasn't none of your business, but I'm a finicky eater, and I always have been. I'm better than I used to be. My wife introduced me to some foods that I never would have looked twice at when I was in my 20s. But now that I'm in my late 40s, I eat them and I, and I really enjoy them like asparagus. What's asparagus? It looks like a little tree branch. I don't want that. It actually tastes pretty good, right? I'm from the South and I know this is heresy, but I don't remember eating grits till I got married. They're really good. She takes butter and salt and pepper and little ham cubes and we just have a time. It's wonderful. I love them. And now I've got to add this three-way, chili, four-way chili because I put onions on mine, amen. And it was awesome. But here's the thing. I don't like beans in my chili. And I know that's weird, and I've probably lost my salvation for saying that, but I don't care for beans in my chili. And here's the weird thing. My wife and I are polar opposites on a great number of things, but I met a woman who feels the same way I do about beans in our chili. And so I knew it had to be, amen? And when she fixes chili, she doesn't put beans in it, she puts corn in it. And that's the way that we eat it. Don't judge us. That's, that's our, it's our chili, not yours, and you don't have to have any of it, amen? I'll eat your portion too. It's awesome. I love it. It's a weird recipe, I know. No beans and chili. Now, you and I can argue over chili recipes for days and days. And you guys would probably be right because you're right here evidently in the center of chili country, amen? But can I give you a recipe for revival tonight that you can't argue with? Friends, you know it's futile to argue with the Word of God. When God's Word lays something out for you and I, we would be best to read it, to understand it, and obey it and live it. Amen? And if we would do that, our lives would be a lot more simple. It would be a lot better and a lot less complicated, wouldn't it? And here in uh, Psalm chapter 1, I believe we find a recipe revival that is simply spelled out for you and me. And here's the number one ingredient. Look at number one if you're taking notes. A recipe revival. Number one, you and I have to depart from sin. We have to depart from sin. Look at verse number 1. He said, Blessed happy is the man that walketh, that liveth not in the counsel of the ungodly. The word ungodly here means those that are morally bad. In the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the first thing he says to us is this. If we want to be what God wants us to be, if we want to have success... As God measures it, not as the world measures it. If we want to live the victorious Christian life, number one, we have got to depart from the advice of the sinners. Friends, you know what? You and I have no business seeking the counsel and the advice of those that don't love Jesus Christ and love the Bible. Why would we seek what somebody else thinks about our life decisions and what we want to do with our lives as Christians for people who don't recognize God and the Bible as their authority. Listen, I want to tell you something tonight. My authority as a preacher doesn't rest on a church. My authority doesn't rest on a constitution. It doesn't rest on some man-made creed. It rests exclusively on the, on the, on the gospel of Jesus Christ and in a more broad spectrum on the very Word of God. The Word of God is my final and only authority for faith and practice. Amen? Amen. I'm banking my eternity on it. I'm basing my life here on earth and are trying to. All the eggs of my life are in the basket of the validity and the authority of the Word of God. And that's the way you and I are to live our lives. The word counsel here, it means advice, but it can also mean purpose. Now, friend, here's the truth of the matter. So many of us tonight as believers, we're living with one foot in the church, and we want all the blessings and the perks of answered prayer and peace and comfort and the promises of God while also keeping one foot in the world and trying to live lives that are secularly pleasing to others. I want to tell you what, friends. Your purpose as a believer and the purpose of this lost world will never gel together. They'll never congeal. They're always going to be different. They're always going to be polar opposites of one another. You and I as believers, our main purpose in life is to honor and glorify Jesus Christ in all that we do and say. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. Colossians says what you do, do it unto the Lord, knowing of Him you're going to receive the reward. Our purpose here in life, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 1. We preached on it on Sunday. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Galatians 2.20 said, I am crucified with Christ. and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Paul said, my purpose in life is Jesus. To tell others about him, to live like him, to think like him, to talk like him, to walk like him. Everything should be absorbed in Jesus. John 15 says, we are to abide, dwell, remain in him. And so number one, we've got to depart from the advice of the wicked. Listen, friends, if you need good advice, can I recommend someone to go to? James 1.5 says this, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not. You know what that verse means? It's a fancy way of saying that when I ask God for wisdom, he doesn't get irritated that I ask. He's always on call 24-7, and he's big enough and powerful enough to handle all of us asking at the same time if we were to do so. Hey, listen, do you get your counsel from good godly people? The Bible tells us in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 27-17 puts it this way, uh, as a man, as iron sharpeneth iron, so the man a countenance of his friend. You ought to surround yourself with people who think biblically. Amen. You ought to surround yourself with people who look at the world through the lens of the word of God. You ought to surround yourself with counselors who their number one place they go to for counsel is the word of God. Amen. We need to depart from the philosophy of this world. Listen to me. There is hope for revival in this world, but there is no hope for the traditional world system. The Bible says in Timothy that evil men wax worse, which means this world system philosophy of life is just going to get worse and worse and worse. The world says if it feels good, do it. God says sometimes you got to deny your flesh. The world says crawl on whoever you got to crawl on to get ahead. Climb the corporate ladder. It's a dog-eat-dog world. You look out for number one, survival of the fittest. God tells us look not every man on his own things but on the things of others. Let each esteem other better than themselves. You've got to make a decision. Are you going to follow the counsel of this world or the counsel of the Word of God? Number one, you've got to depart from wicked advice. But number two, you've got to depart from wicked, uh, not only advice, but wicked activity. He says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth. The word standeth here means to, to remain. It means to stand up with. In the way, the way of life, the manner of life of sinners. Friend, I know this is an old-fashioned message, but I guess I'm an old-fashioned preacher. Here's the truth. Do you know that the doctrine of separation has not been removed from the Word of God? Can I get an amen there? Hey, now let me say this. You and I are not isolationists. Nowhere in the Word of God does God tell you and I to go live up in a mountain and come down once every six months for supplies. God didn't say, put on a white robe and go start a cult on top of the hill somewhere holding hands and singing kumbaya until the rapture trumpet sounds. But he did say this in John 17. He said, they're in the world, but they're not of it. Wow. We sing, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Amen. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door." And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. For now, I'm going to tell you something. You and I should not feel at home here. Right. Philippians 3.10 puts it this way. For our conversation is in heaven. Right. Now, here's a verse we've got to do a little more study. Conversation, I think of chit-chat. Well, that doesn't make any contextual sense. Our chit-chats in heaven? No, I'm talking here, not there. I've never been there because when I go, I'm not coming back. Amen? Right. The word conversation there means citizenship. Now, you plug that word in, it makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? For our citizenship is in heaven. 1383 Craig Robertson Road, southeast Roanoke, Virginia, 24014. That's where I sojourn. But I'm a citizen of heaven. Even though I've never seen the place that God's prepared me yet, although I've never been there, I've been there by faith because God saved me and one day my faith will be sight. But in the meanwhile, God has commanded you and I to live separated lives. Listen, this is old-fashioned, but we need to hear it. We ought to talk differently than the world. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You know we ought to dress differently than the world? listen, I'm not here tonight to talk about dress standards. Bottom line is this, a man should look like a man, and a woman should look like a woman. And if you know how you are and you're identifying as that, which you ought to be, then you're good. Nobody said you've got to wear a tie to come to church. Nobody said you've got to be in a three-piece suit or wear a tuxedo. But a man should look like a man. A woman should look like a woman. The Bible tells us very clearly, the Bible preaches modesty. And that's where we're to be. And we ought to dress differently in the world. The, The Bible says in 1 Samuel, a man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. That's one of the most misinterpreted verses in all the Word of God. A lot of people say, well, that means it doesn't matter what the outside's like. God looks at my heart. The problem is the Gospels say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, which means that if your heart's what it should be, eventually the outside will take care of itself. Amen? Amen. By the way, if somebody comes through the doors of this church and they're dressed differently, they look different, they smell differently, they act differently, we don't, we don't cut them out. We don't, we don't turn them down. We don't turn a, a, a blank eye to them. We don't ignore them. We welcome them. We're not here to force standards. We're here to let the Holy Spirit of God teach and direct. Amen? And so number you know, we're supposed to dress differently. We're supposed to talk differently. We're supposed to act differently. Listen, friends, the Bible says in James, listen, you have faith, that's fine. I'm going to show you my faith by the way that I live. Nobody ever went to heaven because they did a good deed. But I'll tell you one thing, people that are in heaven are people that have done good deeds. They're people that give evidence of their salvation. Jesus said in Matthew 7, by their fruit you shall know them. Everybody's fruit grows differently. Everybody's fruit grows at different paces. Everyone's on a different position in this race called the Christian life. But the bottom line is if you're saved, you ought to have some evidence of it in your life. That's different from that other the world. Evangelist Harold Vaughn once said this, where there is no fruit, there is no root. And you and I ought to have some differences. The Bible says, wherefore, in 2 Corinthians 6, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Uh, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, Brother Bear, that verse is talking about marriage. I beg to differ. It's on any kind of intimate partnership or agreement. A marriage would fall under that. And by the way, you ought to only marry people that are saved. You don't got to pray about it. You don't have to seek a sign in the heavens. You don't have to lay out a fleece. It's God's word for you to marry somebody who's saved. But that verse goes beyond marriage. It's talking about any intimate partnership or relationship. People talk all the time about how Christ associated with the dregs of society, the down and outers, the 'er ne'er-do-wells, and he did. And he loved on them, and he saved them, and he healed them. But I want to tell you what, his most intimate times of fellowship were spent with his disciples and his people that were on the same page with him. And your best friends and relationships in life ought to be with people that love Jesus Christ. Why in the world can our best friends not come from the local church? Why in the world can our best relationships not come from people that are on the same page and headed in the same direction and love Jesus while befriending the lost and while loving them at the same time? Amen? Amen. Is that fair? Is that fair? Hey, you know what? We're to depart from the advice of the sinners. We're to depart from the activity of the sinners. But number three, we're to depart from the attitude of the sinners. He says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. In Bible times, a seat in the gate was a position of authority. It was a position of renown. I think of Lot, who the Bible says he sat in the gate in Sodom. Here was a man that although the Bible says he vexed his soul daily with what he heard and saw from the deeds of the Sodomites. It didn't say he did it, but he heard and he saw it, and he vexed his soul. He had become completely immersed in sodomite culture. And by the way, Lot was saved. Last night I told you I believe that Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven. Lot is too. You believe that? Peter tells us that he was just. And that he vexed his soul by living in Sodom. The word vexed means to toil, means to labor. It means he was bothered by that sin around him. By the way, can I ask you this? Does sin bother you? Listen, lot Christians are capable of extremely heinous things. We can really blow it spiritually, can't we? I told you earlier in the week about David. How about Lot? Lot was a man that wasted. His witness cost their son-in-laws and his daughters their lives. His wife didn't have enough respect for his testimony not to look back at the city. And then if that wasn't enough, he committed incest with his two virgin daughters that created two nations that were problems for Israel for years and years. How does a man who's saved get to that place? He walks in the counsel of the ungodly. He stands in the way of sinners. He sits in the seat of the scornful. The word means those that mock. For now I'll tell you what, we ought not to associate and befriend or agree or support anything that mocks Jesus Christ. Amen. We live in a culture today that sticks their fist in God's face and dares him to do something about it. And when he does it in his mercy, they think that proves he doesn't exist. It just proves that he's merciful and loves them. Now listen, I'm not going to go into a a big amen rant tonight. You can say it if you want to. But you know what? You know as well as I do, we live in a world today where transgenderism and a gender identity and homosexuality is being pushed in our faces. It's no longer about let us do what we want. Now it's you better agree with it. Because if you don't, we're coming for you. Do an experiment sometime, and the next time you're watching television, pay attention to the commercials. And notice how many homosexual couples you see. They don't even make a deal of it on TV. It's as if it's just the norm now. And friends, it is. The new immorality has become the new morality. And people mock God. Friend, the Bible says if we're going to have revival as Christians, we can't participate in that. Amen. We have to depart from the sin. Amen. Friends, there is no revival outside of repentance. David was saved, but that year that he didn't deal with his sin with Bathsheba was a miserable year for him. He aged physically. Nights seemed like days, days seemed like night. Every part of his health suffered. He said in Psalm 51, as he's confessing his sin to God, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David just wanted to get back to where it was to be right with the Lord. And by the way, that's why God called David a man to his own heart. Yeah, David blew it a whole bunch, but when he did, he recognized his sin. He was brutal with his own sin more than anybody else's. He was sensitive to it, and God saw a flawed reflection of himself and called him a man after my own heart. Number one recipe, number one ingredient for revival, you've got to depart from sin. But number two, very quickly, you've got to delight in the Savior. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And by the way, if one is true, number two will never be. If verse 1 is true in our lives, verse 2 will never be. Because verse 2, delighting in the Lord will help us to eradicate the activity of verse 1. But his delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Here's a simple, straightforward statement for you and me tonight. When I'm not in God's Word, that's when I slip and fall. That's for me. I know if I go periods, my thoughts are whacked. My, My thinking is nowhere near what it should be. My eyes don't see what they need to see. My ears don't hear what they need to hear. My feet don't take me where I need to go. I don't feel peace in my heart. I don't feel like I am or doing what God wants me to be. When I'm not in His Word, when I don't light in Him, it's all off kilter. And something is just off. Here in verse two, number one, I want you to see this our pleasure. He said, But His delight, the word literally means pleasure. You know what, friends, the Bible tells us that in the end times, the last days, the men's would be, men would be pleasures, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, i got to tell you, here's where I can take my shoes off right now and grab a big sledgehammer and get to whacking on my own feet, okay? Not yours, so I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching at myself. Man alive, this is a convicting verse. How many of us can truly say, I have more pleasure and delight in God and spending time with Him than I do anything else. I want to tell you what, friends, if you can say that with a straight face, then you are experiencing revival. Man, I love God more than I do time with my family. That's a rough one, isn't it? You know what Job said? Job said, I esteem his word more than my necessary food. Man, you, people got good chili around here. Good food around here. My wife's a good cook. My mother was a good cook. Do we love the Word of God more than we do our food? Even the innocent, God-given pleasures of life, so often we prioritize them over the Lord, don't we? Colossians 1, "By Him all things consist. He's before all things. All things were created by him and for." We forget that we were not created for us. We were created for him. And specifically for fellowship with him. Can we go back and talk about a little story for a moment? In Genesis, Adam names the animals. God gives him the mind to do that. The Bible says that God comes down to see what he's going to name the animals. Now friend, God's omniscient. He knows everything that's ever been, everything that will be, and everything that is. You don't think he didn't know what Adam would call those animals? He knew. He just wanted to spend time with his creation. I believe the Bible indicates in Genesis that Adam and Eve and God had a habit of meeting in the cool of the day. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open up to me, I will hear his voice, and I will come in, and I will sup with him. David said, I long for you as the heart, the deer, pants for the water brooks. Being on dialysis, if somebody said to me, Brother Barry, you can't eat for three days, I'd be like, well, I'm going to go home and cry, uh, but I can deal with that. But if you tell me I can't drink for three days, I'm going to crawl up in a fetal position and I'm not sure I can make it. I like to have a drink, don't you? Not that kind of drink, but I like to have a drink, all right? Don't misquote, don't misquote the preacher tonight, Okay. I remember when I had this left kidney removed back in June, they would not let me have much to drink for days. And I was begging them like a beggar on the side of the road, can I please have just something to drink? And they're like, well, we'll give you a little bit of apple juice, but you've got to sip it. I said, I'll do whatever. I'll put it in a vein, whatever you got to do. I just want to have something to drink. It's just been so long. When's the last time we, not, I didn't say you, I said we felt that way about the Lord? He said the successful man delights. He literally Finds pleasure in the law of the Lord. The word law here is talking about the very word of God. Not only do we see his pleasure, but number two, let's see his planting. Look The Bible says, and he shall be like a tree. Uh, his light's in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He reads it, and he rehearses it. The word meditate means to ponder. It means to think about. Somebody once said it's like a, ch- a cow that chews the cud. It gets every bit out of that grass that it thinks it can get and then choose a little bit more. And I know all of you wanted to hear that before dinner. Amen? But the idea is that we take the Word of God, we don't just say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Boom! Devotion's done. Now on to whatever. What it means is, is that we ponder and think about and meditate on. Listen, if you're like me, you think about everything else. We meditate on everything else. How many of you would say sometimes your mind goes to places that God never intended for it to go? Would you agree with me there? Amen. But but when we can discipline and renew our minds, as Romans 12 says, through the Word of God, we've seen our pleasure, we've seen His pondering. Now, number three, I want you to see His planting. Verse three, and He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth His fruit in His season, His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. Friend, I want to ask you tonight, do you want to be a willy-nilly, fair-weather fair, uh, Christian, or do you want to be somebody that's stable? Do you want to be somebody that is, has a, their feet under them? Do you want to be somebody that, like 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in the vain of the Lord. Do you want to be somebody that can be the anchor of that spiritual uh, 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 team that pulls the rope, do you want to be someone that's got a good spiritual core and base or do you want to be somebody that's blown around like a leaf that every went to doctrine? You want to be somebody that's fickle? You want to be somebody that's never stable in their Christian life? Up one minute and down the next. You know what, folks? I get tired of the spiritual roller coaster sometimes, don't you? We want stability. We want to be like that tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Strong, deep roots. A strong tree. It can withstand the storms It can withstand the winds of life. Even as it comes, it might bend a little bit, it might bow, but it's flexible because it's strong, because its roots are deep. We want to be planted believers. By the way, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the right foundation. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 3 says, there's no other foundation that any man can lay than that which is laid, and that's Jesus himself. He's the foundation of our salvation. He's the foundation of the church. He's the foundation of everything in the Christian life. And on top of him, we can build. We've seen his pleasure. We've seen his pondering. We've seen his planting. Now, I want you to see his product. It says that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Friend, the Christian life affords us opportunities to be productive in a way the world doesn't understand. John 15 says that God's will is that we bear much fruit. Galatians 5.17 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the aspects of Christ's character that can be produced in us and through us if we're walking with Him. It's not stuff you produce. It's not willpower. It's not, hey, I woke up this morning, I think I'll whip up a batch of gentleness and temperance and meekness and love today. No, it's not about you, it's about Jesus in you. And when you're delighting in His Word and walking with Him and departing from the sin that so easily besets us, then we can be not only planted Christians, but productive Christians. Where our gospel witness will have power, where our life's witness will back up our lips, we can live out 1 Peter 3 that says, be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. The next verse says, having a good conscience, that our life and our lips say the same thing. And we're productive. If you've ever had the opportunity, to lead somebody to Christ, then you know that one person person, was worth it all. There's a soul that's not headed to hell because Jesus saved them and used you as a vessel. Amen? That's a purpose and a product that the world never understands. And listen, for some of us, you may give out gospel tracts and be a good witness, and you may never see this side of eternity, what God does with it. But well, one of these days, you will. My mother, when she was alive, used to receive these mailers in the mail that had the, 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 the prepaid postage on them. She'd open them up, take out the trash that was in it, put a gospel tract back in it, seal it up, and put it in the mail. Amen. Say, Brother Barry, it's a waste of time. I beg to differ. Right. Only eternity will tell the difference that she made. And when she went to heaven, she may have met somebody who got saved as a result of that. She used to leave tracks in the, in, the, in the restroom. And by the way, here's what you ought to do. If you go in the restroom and you find a watchtower, throw that in the trash and replace it with a gospel tract. Amen? That shows that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not trying to seem to be mean today, but get rid of that and stand up for the truth and do it in a way that pleases God. Amen? Amen. Hey, so you know what? We've seen tonight. We've seen his pleasure. We've seen his planting, his productivity. Now look at his perseverance. His leaf also shall not wither, Whatsoever you doeth shall prosper. Friend, when we're walking with the Lord and delighting in Him, it's going to get us through the rough times. I don't want to be a withering leaf. I don't want to be a tree that looks like it hasn't been watered in a long time. I don't want to be someone who as soon as the times get rough or things don't go my way or tragedy strikes or trials happen that I walk out the door. Listen, friends. When we don't walk with God, we're one step away from walking away. Now, I thank the Lord we got a God who don't walk away from us. Amen. And once you're saved, you're always saved, and that never, ever changes. I hope you believe that. Jesus died once for all. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. He got it right the first time, amen? That's right. But, buddy, there are Christians getting mad and angry and bitter and unforgiving And don't darken the doorstep of the church for decades while their leaf withers. Friend, we need to be perseverers. People that keep on being faithful. When we get to heaven one day, there are a group of people that are going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Faithfulness is not always measured in glitz and glamour. Maybe it won't be all the high-profile ministry guys that get the most rewards. Now, just because you've got a TV ministry doesn't mean you hate God. There's a lot of men that love the Lord that have public platforms, and God has blessed them with it, and thank God for it. A lot of people on television I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for Somebody wants said, just because you have a lot of degrees after your name doesn't mean you have much heat. Isn't that true? But could it be those people that just stick by the stuff day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, delighting in God and departing from sin, faithful servants of God that God rewards one day? Friends, if Jesus says that about me, nothing else matters no matter what you think, anybody else in the world thinks, because Christ has the final word. Amen. We've seen his pleasure, his pondering, his planting, his perseverance. Now look at his prosperity. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. No, this is not the prosperity gospel. This is not a promise to have all the money in the world. But it does mean that in the eyes of God, you'll be successful. There's a lot of recipes that you can botch. Why you would put beans in your chili, I have no idea. Some of you in here, I think, anybody in here like liver? Man, you need revival. You know a recipe you can't mess up? The straightforward mandates of the word of God. You want to be a prosperous Christian? You want to see this thing that we've started this week keep on going for years to come until Jesus returns? And by the way, it can. And by the way, it can spread. Amen? You've got to depart from sin, and you've got to delight in the Savior. If you'll do those two things, then your way will be prosperous. Amen? Thank God for a simple scripture and a God that was, in his foresight, powerful and wonderful enough to put it in a way that you and I can understand a recipe for revival that all of us can get right if we choose to follow it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for those who have listened here this evening. Thank you for the straightforward truth of the word of God. And we know that it does not return unto you void, that it prospers in the purpose for which you sent it. So I know that your word has worked tonight. How you have chosen to work it is your business. Lord, sometimes you allow us to see fruit that remains. And we would ask for that tonight. We call this an invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to preaching. Cannot be neutral when it comes to the preaching of God's word. It's either yes, you obey, or no, you don't. So the heads bowed and eyes closed as our pianist begins to play tonight. I want to ask you a question. Some of you have been here all week long. And it could be that everyone here tonight is genuinely born again. And if you are, thank God for that. And the last thing that I would ever want to do is have anyone doubt. I've been through those periods of doubt before and they're not a pleasant place to be. And I don't want to be that preacher that tries to scare people so badly that they're convinced they're not even saved. We don't want that. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Hey friend, when you sin, is there conviction in your heart? Can you not sin and win? You know, it's a real problem when people profess to know Jesus, but yet they can sin, do whatever they want to do, pillow their head at night, and they're never bothered by it. That's not Bible Christianity. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And one of the ways he bears witness is conviction when we sin. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Are anybody here that said, Brother Barry, pray for me, I've got to be honest, I'm just not sure that I'm a Christian, and I'm concerned about it to the level... That I want prayer. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Yes, sir. Thank you, buddy. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for that. Anybody else? I'm just not sure that I'm saved. Now, we're not here tonight to manipulate you, we're not here tonight to try to twist your arm or persuade you to do something that God's not in or God's not convicting you. But I want to say this to you if you're here tonight and you raise your hand that you're not sure you're saved, do you know that you can take care of that tonight? You don't even have to wait till you get home. You don't have to wait to come forward in church. You can take care of it right where you're sitting in the pew. God can hear the voice of your heart. And so we're going to take a moment to do this. We had a couple raise their hand. Let me say this. Prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But the way that we have of communicating with God is through prayer. And Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Friend, if you're serious about this, you're not playing games, you're serious. You know, right now, you can ask Jesus something like this in faith in your heart. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that there's nothing that I can do to save my own soul. But I believe that you died and was buried and rose again and I believe you did it for me. And right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to be my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now, help me to live for you. Friends, eyes are closed, heads are still bowed. But I want to ask you a question. If you prayed that tonight, and you meant it, not playing games, not messing around, not trying to please the preacher, but you meant it because you want to settle it, if you, if you prayed that, would you raise your hand tonight? If you actually prayed that. Anybody at all? Well, let me say this. Even if you didn't, even when you leave this service, can I ask you to please take time and settle it with the Lord? This could be your last night on earth. You might live to be 100. You might not live 100 more minutes. We don't know. But don't pillow your head tonight without making sure. Or some young people tonight that raise their hands. Hey, you know what? You can go home and talk to your parents about it. They'd be more than happy to show you. They're not going to get mad at you. They're not going to get upset at you. They're not going to look at you with a scowled face and say, we thought you were saved. How dare you? It's going to be nothing but love and support for you as you settle the most important decision in your life. Here's my next question. How many would say, Brother Barry, I'm saved, but I have not been following the recipe for revival in my life? Friend, I have to raise my hand here in some areas. This is a conviction to me. I'm the preacher. Don't matter if I got evangelists in front of my name or not. I struggle with tonight's message. Struggle with preaching this a little bit because I know where my weaknesses lie. How many would say, Brother Barry, I've not been following this recipe for a revival in my life of departing from sin and delighting in the Savior and God specifically convicted my heart of it tonight, and I need to confess that to him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. Friend, whatever it is, just tell God about it. Lord, I've been apathetic. Lord, I've been worldly. Lord, I've been more secular-minded than spiritual-minded. Lord, I've not been serving you in the local church. Whatever it is, just tell God what it is specifically. The Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. You don't confess to a priest, you confess to God. Tell him what it is, he'll forgive you. He'll cast it as far as the east is from the west. If you're doing something he doesn't want you to do, through his grace you can stop. If you're not doing something he's commanded you to do, through his grace you can start. He'll give you strength to do it. My last question is this. Brother Barry, as this revival services conclude, although I sin every day and have to keep a zero account of my sin with God, As far as I know, I'm right with the Lord tonight. And I'm leaving tonight in the spirit of revival in my heart's prayer that it will continue and spread in my life and others. If that's you, you raise your hand. You're confident of that. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Friend, that's not arrogance. That's where we want you to be. Thank the Lord for it. Father, thank you for your word as folks are dealing with you even now. Be with Pastor Earl giving wisdom as he concludes this final invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.